Welcome to the Wedding Film Academy podcast, your go-to source for learning to create stunning wedding films and run a successful business. Here's your host, Lumix Luminary and wedding filmmaker, Jordan Bunch. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Wedding Film Academy podcast. Um, I always say this at the beginning. I realize like I have a habit of saying this, but I am so excited because we have Rob Adams on. Um, Rob is someone who, if if you've tried to learn about wedding, making better wedding films, then you've probably seen something that Rob's done. Um, Rob, actually, he was, when I was getting uh, started, you know, I did like a lot of like YouTube education and then just like watching other wedding filmmakers and that kind of thing. But when I started getting really serious about it, um, I came across Creative Live and I came across Rob's class on Creative Live. And he had a couple classes actually, which was cool because he had one on um, wedding cinema and then he had another on fusion films. Um, and I was the only person that I knew of at the time that was doing fusion films. And so that was really cool for me to, you know, have someone actually teach that. Um, but anyways, so so make a long story short, I've been following Rob and learning from Rob um, for several years. And so I'm just excited to have him on and to have you guys learn some more about him. And so we're still on this this storytelling series. And that's one of the things that Rob does with excellence. And so I'm excited to have him on. Rob, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, I'm Rob, and I'm a uh, cinemaholic. It's good to be here. <laughs> no, this is great. Yeah, thanks so much for the for the kind intro. Um, yeah, storytelling sort of been at the uh, has been the cornerstone of what we've been doing uh, in terms of my films for the last, I guess, decade now. Um, I started out, you know, very rudimentary. In the video business, you know, with the old video cameras and shooting everything on, you know, half inch chips and, you mm-hmm. know, terrible sensors with, you know, direct lighting and, you know, just the traditional style of video. So when, you know, and I always refer back to this as the turning point in the industry when the, when the 5D Mark II yep. hit the scene that changed everything. It gave us the opportunity to be wedding filmmakers and not just videographers. And I, I know that there were some people around during the video camera and camcorder era that were doing very cinema style work using the latest adapters. And I just found that workflow to be so heavy and, and not conducive to making money, at least not in this market. So I'm always trying to balance my art with making money because I can't do one or just the other, you know, I can't just make money and have no art. I'm miserable and I can't just do art with no money. I'm poor. I'm broke. Um, Yeah. So yeah, there's there's that fine balance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely feel you on that. Well, awesome. So one of the questions I always love to hear from people um, who are making wedding films is, what's what's the best story you ever told in a wedding film? Like, or you know, I know sometimes it's hard to choose one because you felt like you've done a ton that just you know a couple for some reason they had a compelling story. Um, there was you know something going on in their life, whether it's hardship or just like kind of this beautiful thing that they overcame or whatever it was. Tell me about one of your favorite wedding films you ever did and what this, what made the story unique um, and, and kind of how you're able to tell that story. Yeah. I'd say the most dramatic and impactful one that I've ever done is probably my most well-known. It's a film called fly. Um, and that's uh, where the groom was uh, injured in a diving accident while he was on his, on a trip with his buddies uh, on vacation, he dove into shallow water and became a paraplegic. Wow. Um, and he was, you know, dating his then fiance at the time, and she still married him. And I think that's just a tremendous human story yep. to stick with somebody through something so tragic and, and so devastating and life changing. Um, and the story just fell in my lap. I mean, when they met with me, you know, it was still early in my DSLR storytelling career, quote unquote. Um, mm. And I wasn't really trying to approach things from that heavy of an angle. You know, I was seeing what still motion's doing. I'm like, yeah, that's great and everything. I live in the, the New Jersey, New York market. People just want the world. They want everything. They're not looking for like short form. So I was trying to fit a square peg in a round hole. 
But then this couple came to me and they they flat out said, we love your work, just what we've seen so far. We've seen some other wedding films that we really like. And they showed me, you know, kind of examples of what they liked in terms of story. And that sort of just set me off because I was like, wow, you they, they came to me wanting to tell that story. It wasn't just, yeah. hey, we're getting married and he happens to be in a wheelchair. Right. So they really gave me this blank canvas to work with. And that was... Mm. You know, that the pieces honestly just fell into place on that. I mean, we were there. We had the t- expertise and the, and the knowledge and the, and the technique to, co- to capture it correctly. Um, we, you know, we crushed it. You know how you walk away from a wedding and you just know you crushed it? Yeah. We walked away from that wedding going, I can't wait to edit, edit that. It's going to be amazing. And we crushed it. Um, and, and, and then that, I mean, over time working on that film, it evolved in a couple of different ways, it didn't just we didn't just slap it together and that was it. We had a long version and a short version, and nobody's really ever seen the long version. Not that we're ashamed of it. I tend to keep my longer features for my couples. That's theirs. Yeah. If I'm they want to share it, that's fine. But I, you know, part of the stipulation was I need a short version to show, you know, of this, and that's essentially what we ended up releasing, and and that became yeah. one of our most popular films. That's my favorite to date. Yeah. So. Um, what was the difference in the short version and long version in terms of just time? Just content, the amount of content. So it was still okay. cinematically edited all the way through. We gave them a 30-minute version. Okay. Cinematically edited all the way through, but it's just other parts are more lengthy and drawn out. So there's more of the ceremony. There's more party dancing. There's more of the toasts. There's sure. more of, you know, just those story parts that we tend to be very selective in using in shorter features. We just yep. gave them everything pretty much. And we just, you know, we omitted things that didn't work or were detractive from the overall uh, story. But we gave them pretty much everything we shot. And, you know, they, okay. I think they like the longer version more than they do the shorter version. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I'm excited about that. I, I'm sort of in this kind of transition place where I've been doing like just a short film, like you know, seven to ten minutes, and then giving them a full length video of the ceremony and the toast, which I think probably a ton of people are doing something pretty similar. Yeah, to that. however you want to call them, doc edits or cleanup edits. I've heard right. them referred to as many different things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm trying to transition into doing more of kind of the long format in addition to that short film. Um, and I'm learning a ton about like ways I need to shoot things differently and, um, and those kind of things you've been doing more long format stuff, like 20 plus minutes for a long time. Um, so talk to me about like what the difference would be in the way that you would shoot something. If you're shooting for say a five minute highlight film, versus you're trying to get 20 30 minutes but still make it look cinematic not make it sort of just like you're filling every void with the ceremony and toast kind of thing like to talk to me through like what are you doing on the actual day like to to get that much length out of things and still do it in a beautiful way yeah it's funny you mentioned like how would you shoot the short versus the long the truth of it is we shoot it all the same way um i don't approach a wedding I approach every wedding with the same amount of gear um, and maybe the same amount of crew. Sometimes it's two, sometimes it's three, sometimes it's four, just depending on logistics and where we are. But I shoot every wedding relatively the same way. What changes is what they get in the end product. Because I have a lot of brides and I make a good amount of extra money selling upgrades. I have a bride that might come in and book a five to seven minute feature, you know, just a short film. And then by the end, she's spending five figures and she's doing a 30 minute feature with the trailer, doc edits and the whole nine yards. That's sort of the, yeah. the business end of it. When I go into the wedding day though, I'm, I always make sure I have the same system. So there's always a lockdown high and away. Okay. No matter what I'm shooting. I mean, not like preps. I'm talking like ceremony, in all the reception events, there's always one camera that's nicely framed high and far away, right? Yeah. That gives me a safety for any documentary edits I'm going to do, okay? Um, you can use whatever camera you want as long as it matches, you know, what you're doing in the overall scheme. We're not using a ton of footage from that shot. It's just giving me options in case the other angles are compromised. Yep. Um, then we always have two roaming creative cams. So basically you'll have one that's going to be um, – you know, let's say for the toast, for instance, 
We're going to be picking off reaction shots. We're going to be picking off the bride and groom's reaction. Sometimes we'll put a static cam on the bride and groom, but I'm getting away from that more and more because I'm just finding it's a camera that I'm just I'm not going to enough to justify it sitting there the whole time. Yeah. Um, and then we'll always have a lockdown on the speed on the person giving the toast. So there's four cameras operating, two of sure. which are roaming creative. That gives us a lot of options for the creative edit, while the two lockdown shots give me really everything I need for the long documentary edits. Now, in the, in the context of a 20 to 30 minute creative cinematic feature, in those, we are mixing those two quite yeah. a bit. So, you know, you're, you have the creative elements to cut in out of context, but to keep the story compelling visually. And then you have those consistent lockdown shots that give you the stamina is what I like to call it. I call it the stamina to get through those longer portions. Because sometimes in a 30 minute feature, we're going to use if there's four toasts, and each person spoke for like three minutes, using like two to three minutes of each person yeah. in, in dialogue. And then, you know, right. you're only visually showing them, you know, a fraction of that time. But in most of it's B-roll. But that's my approach. I mean, I go into every wedding and I say, we're going to shoot it all the same way. Of course, different weddings have different logistics. Like a wedding in Manhattan is going to be approached a little differently than a barn wedding in, Pen in Pennsylvania. Because we're not sure. going to have resources available all at the same time in one place. Right. Um, so there's a lot of variables there. But in terms of how we go into it, I want every job when I come back to the studio, when I look at the footage, I want it all to look the same. Yeah. Because I know I can make something. If I've got those pieces, I can make anything the bride wants at that point. Hmm. So um, I I'm, I'm really interested by the way that you're shooting toast. It's not too unsimilar in the fact that I'm using four cameras to shoot the toast as well, but I'm, I'm only starting to, to start like kind of do the roaming cam to get some of the action shots of like, you know, mom and dad reacting off to the side or whatever the case is, you know, the, the laughs and the cries and all those kind of things. One of my struggles is I've lit the, um, you know, I've lit the stage or the head table or whatever it is in kind of a really beautiful way, um, you know, kind of a, a two or three point lighting system to get really beautiful, attractive light on the toast uh, giver and on the bride and groom. But then I have really this really awful light everywhere else. Are you doing anything to mix that or are you just kind of like living with what it is that's there? No, there's a certain element to wedding films that you have to understand it's a wedding and not a movie shoot. Yep. Um, and yeah, I mean, look, there's a, there's a certain thing. I mean, if you really watch movies closely, you know, you, you know, especially wedding scenes in movies. Yeah. Every shot is lit perfectly, including the reactionary B cam stuff. It's all beautifully lit yep. in the context of a wedding, especially a bride. She's not looking at it from that perspective. Okay. She's yeah. not approaching it from that perspective. She, she's more involved in the emotional. So it's more what you're capturing, not what the lighting is in a reaction shot. If the rest of the room is dark and I've lit the head, the, 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 the main stage or whatever you want to call it, I don't think anybody gives two craps. As long as yeah. it's, you know, what I'm showing isn't somebody, you know, with a fork in their mouth or with yeah. a grimace on their face. If the emotion is there, you know, you do a little tweaking to the shot just to bring up the levels a little bit and, you know, you're in business. I don't get too yeah. bogged down in those particulars. It's more about the moment. Yeah, I think that's really important like to to find that balance of there's certain shots that you need to light correctly that you need to make sure they they do look beautiful, you know, particularly like most of the shots of the bride and groom as much as you can because you you want to make your bride look great. Um but but then balancing that with, you know, I I've got to just be able to get the shot and not bring uh an absurd amount of of gear and lights everywhere. Um so there, there is sort of that balance of things of we want to make it beautiful, but we also just have to get what's there um, and, and take what's kind of given to us. So, yeah, and, I appreciate And that. getting getting toast reactions is one of the hardest things that I face on the wedding day. Uh, sometimes I walk away and I don't have any. Sometimes I walk away and it's like, you know, people are just stone-faced. Yeah. You know, and I can shoot them the entire time of the toast and just get nothing. It just happens. If I sense that I'm not getting reactions or people are just not reacting, re responding to a toast, maybe the person's bombing, you know, people giving the toast. Um, I'll just focus on the bride and groom, you know, at yeah. that point, or I'll get different creative angles of the person giving the toast. Yeah, no, for sure. So talk to me, one of the, one of the bigger things that I'm, I'm beginning to learn a lot about. And I, I was really excited. I got to do a lot of this, um, with this couple I'm working with in two or three weeks. I forget which one it is. Um, 
anyways, I've done a lot of pre-production with them. And through the pre-production process, I've made a lot more money actually and kind of selling them some upgrades. I moved them from like an $8,000 package to a $15,000 package. And so I'm just like stoked about that side of it, of course. But, um, but also I'm excited about the things that have developed through the pre-production process and what we're going to be able to do with them by just kind of coming up with new ideas. What are you doing with your bride and groom beforehand um, to make sure that you're going to be able to tell the story that you want to tell? My business model is a little different and it's evolved. I used to spend a lot of time doing post uh, pre-production. I used mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time trying to sell the bride on doing something ahead of time, uh, love stories and, and whatnot and that sort of thing. And I've sort of moved away from that. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you why. Brides in this area at least and the client, the kind of clientele that I'm tending to, I'm, I'm hitting right now, um, they're not the type to do, they're not into all that. Okay. They're, they're more like, they're, we're talking like high society metropolitan brides. A lot of my New York brides are very like, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to classify them. It's not like a, a certain type of person. They just, they're just not buying that stuff. What gotcha. they rather do is they say, we want you to film the wedding. Okay. What package do you want? Oh, we want your top package. Okay. Now, what can I sell them after? Because this bride has okay. just booked my top package. What can I upgrade her on? What can I upsell her on? And it's right. things that don't cost me a lot of time, you know, but significantly increase the cost, like 4K upgrade, um, you know, discs, you know, optical media, even though I don't even really, you know, media is always great for me, you know, right. but, you know, sell them discs, um, trailers, teasers. You know, getting them promoted in magazines and published and stuff like that. Like we offer that as a service. So there's other things I try to focus on. Now, from a story perspective, it does kind of limit, you know, I'm not getting all this pre-production story. But in my mind, it's almost like that's less editing for me. If I can yeah. if I can nail the wedding day and get plenty of story out of the context of what's given to me the wedding day, I can really just excel at that. Deliver an awesome, consistent film every time. Because as we all know in this business, it's all about consistency. Yep. Um, and, and I'm not spending hours upon hours upon hours upon hours pre-wedding, which I'd rather be spending on other ventures like education and that, and that sort of thing. So yeah. I've changed and evolved my business model. That said, when I do destination weddings, those couples tend to want to do other things. I'm going to Turks and Caicos in uh, November. They want, they're doing a whole fishing trip the day before. They want us along on the fishing trip. They want drone shots from the boat. They want the, nice. and I didn't have to sell them on that. They came to me and said, this is what we want. Can you do yeah. it? Sure. And that gives me a whole new level of stuff to play with. Yeah. Um, we go like uh, the, the film I'm editing now, the guys went to the gun range. A lot of times we can get that pre, that pre wedding activity story the, the morning of the wedding. Right. You know, if I'm already there 12 hours, what's another two? You know, right. oh, you guys are going to the gun range. You're going to play golf. Let's go. You guys are yeah. going to go drink beer at a brewery. Let's go. That adds minutes upon minutes of footage yep. to what I can do in the, in the, in the creative feature. Yeah. No, that's awesome. I really like that. And it's, it's good to have one, one of the things I'm loving with this podcast is that we're getting a bunch of different perspectives on things. And so, you know, for which I think is really helpful for our listeners because they just may not connect with one idea about how to do it. And they're like, Oh, that sounds awful. Like I don't want to go have a three hour dinner with this couple beforehand. Like, you know, what am I, what am I going to do with myself? You know? Um, yeah. Some people and, are just not socially minded like that. They don't want to be right. I've been doing this 20 something years. I'll be honest. There's an element of me that is like, I want to show up, shoot your wedding day and go home. Yeah. You know, not that I don't love you and I want to, I want to kill it. I want to do a great job for you, but I don't need, you know, you know, you know, I don't want to spend two weeks with you. No offense. <laughs> you know? Yeah, no, for sure. No, I definitely understand that. And I think a lot of our listeners will connect with that idea. So, so yeah, that's why I'm having these series where we're doing kind of the same topic, but with a bunch of different filmmakers. So we get all these different perspectives. Um, so talk to me more about, I think one of the things is uh, about weddings is that we're, we're sort of, we're sort of a documentarian, right? I mean, there's, there's things that are going to happen on the day of, um, that a lot of times we don't know or expect, but in doing it, you know, like you have for 20 years, you're, you've learned to anticipate things. 
Um, and I think anyone who's who's done this for any length of time begins to learn to anticipate things like a good, uh, you know, free safety learns to anticipate the quarterback's move and what he's going to do. So talk to me about like what you're what you're looking for on the day of um, that, you know, having not done much pre-production now, like what are you sort of trying to anticipate is going to happen on the day of and how are you doing that in order to tell the story that is there? Yeah, we use, we offset a lot of that. Um, we take a lot of the variable out of that by doing a very lengthy, creative consultation with the bride and groom before the wedding. So we're not just going in blind by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. I mean, they fill out a very uh, comprehensive questionnaire. Then we go over it together. And then I ask them everything from what's the thing you're most excited about about the day? What are you looking forward to the most? I uh, have them privately tell me each separately what the gift is, what they gave each other. So I know I even know what's in the box before they do. Um, yeah. You know, um, I I know as I gather as much information as possible. You know, I want to know the backstories of their f- closest friendships. Um, anything that they think might happen the day of the wedding. Like, well, you know, sometimes he surprises me, but uh, good. How does he surprise you? Well, sometimes he leaves little notes for me. Oh, good. I'll be on the lookout for little notes. And sure enough, she'll open it, you know, her purse and there's a note in there. So anytime I see her reach for the purse, you know, it's just you, like you said, you learn to anticipate when things are going to happen or what could happen. So that's yeah, part right. of it. The day of the wedding, I'm, you know how it's always a balance. You're always trying to balance your technical versus your, you know, um, execution, if you will. So it's like the technical side is I got to make sure I have the right gear in the right place at the right time. I got to make sure that everything is there at my fingertips when I need it, that my assistant's on the ball with what I need now. Then there's the I have to watch every person in this room and make sure I get mom crying if she starts, if I start seeing the lip go. Um, or if the bride is getting frustrated putting her dress on, you know, to make a call right then and there, is this going to be part of the story? Is this the type of bride that would appreciate me filming her being upset and getting in the dress and then using that in the context of the film and maybe contrast that with the guys hanging out loosely and doing nothing but sitting on a couch? Yeah. These are things that are always going through my mind. So the wedding day, you have the pre-production of the, the schedule, then you have the wedding day anticipation and just, and just trying to balance your your, your your workflow versus the moment. And then afterwards, um, if I sense that I maybe not missed something, I don't want to say missed something. Let's say, for example, time ran short, bride didn't get a chance to read. I usually like to have the bride read what she wrote in her card to him and vice versa. So when you see him, she you're hearing her voice. Okay. Right. If I don't have time to do that, I'll send them a little recorder or I'll say, Hey, you got an iPhone, you know, uh, you know, go in your closet in your bedroom, in your bedroom, close the clothes around you and, and read your card into that and then send me the digital file. Yeah. And now that gives me another element of story to work with. So it's a three pronged approach kind of, but we're never going into anything blind and we're always looking for just emotional moments the day of the wedding. And that sounds so cliche because everybody's looking for emotional moments. But there's never an idle moment when we're sitting back not being actively searching for something to film. Like I tell my shooters, you're going to shoot with me, you're going to shoot all day. You're not putting the camera down. Right. You're going to put the camera down to eat like during the reception at some point. But I'm telling you, when the dancing stops and the DJ sits everybody down, that doesn't mean we stop filming. That means yeah. we go find something to shoot, go outside, get nighttime establishers, go outside, do a ring shot, whatever we have to do to gather as much material as possible. Yeah, that's good. I think, uh, you know, that particular piece, I, I see a lot of times where, you know, I'm at a wedding and a photographer, and I've been guilty of this sometimes too, is, you know, the dance floor kind of dies out for a little bit and I'm going to go take a 10 minute break sitting outside, but I'm like, you know, I could have shot a time lapse during that time and been, I could have been chilling, you know, while a time lapse was going off or, you know, outside by where they're having this, they had a fire pit going. Um, and so I have, I have, you know, incorporated some of those things uh, from time to time as well. But uh, yeah, no, I think that's really important, particularly when you're thinking long format, you know, uh, if you're, if you know for sure, you're only going to deliver a three minute music video, maybe that's a little bit different, but then I start to question other things about what you're doing as well. Right. Um, but cool. So 
talk to me about about the edit. So you've you've got your you know you, you finished the day up. I don't necessarily want to go into the whole workflow of your backup and that kind of thing. But um, what are you doing in the actual edit? Like let, let's start with the beginning. You have like a uh, an opening piece that sort of sets the tone for the story that you're going to tell about this couple. That's that's like this big arduous task. I, I feel like sometimes of finding like just the right piece that's going to open up to tell the story the way you want to. What are you doing to find that piece? I just the the podcast I did last week actually addresses this. Uh, it's in the title of the show is how I start my wedding films. Um, so basically, what I do is I sync everything up. I go through all my footage. I favorite all my favorite shots. You know, in Final Cut Pro Ten. Um, and then I, you know, from the synced clips, so let's say I sync the ceremony, I've got multiple angles and multiple audio sources. I'll just watch that compound clip and go through it and just select the best story bites. So, you know, priest starts off, ladies and gentlemen, we gather here today to, you know, join in the union, favorite that, put it in a bin, you know, or put it in the keyword collection. So I have All all the officiants bites in a keyword collection. Then I have the toast, I'm sorry, the um, vows separated into another keyword collection. Then I have mom came up and gave a reading. I put it in the keyword collection. And then what I'm doing is I'm going back and I'm and the, as I'm favoriting these, I'm committing to my memory what I thought were the best shots, were the, were, the, were the best story bites, were the best sound bites. I spent years in radio news. I said my, my entire job used to be to sit there with reel-to-reel tape. And just take sound bites from raw audio that came in all day long, all day long. And my job was, you know, my, you know, the way I was taught was, if it's more than ten seconds to get a single point across, you don't use it. Yeah. So I've become an expert at just finding little bites, and then also using them out of context. I can take a bite from here and then a bite from ten minutes later and slap them together. Bride doesn't remember, but it it blends this. It gets the point across. It cuts out all the fluff. So using that technique, I just you know, I organize everything into keyword collections and then I just pick the, what I think is going to be the best opener. Mm. And then sometimes, sometimes I go off the traditional route. So instead of opening with a piece of the ceremony or opening with a piece of the toasts or something like that, sometimes I'll just open cold on an empty room. And after three seconds, the groom walks in and he's holding the gift from the bride and he sits down and he just quietly starts opening it. There's no sound except yeah. for the, the gnat sound of him rustling paper. And I'll let that go for a whole minute and then cut to a title and then start music. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot. I mean, I'm always trying to think outside the box on different ways to start it, but the pieces have to be there. Yep. Some weddings are so formalized. Some weddings are just so like up here in New Jersey. It's This is why I try not to do too many weddings in my own backyard. <clears throat> Bride's house, groom's house, Catholic ceremony, all of them the same, exactly the same. Uh, they go to a park for the ser- for the photo session. They go to a cheesy Brass and mirror banquet hall uh, for the reception. Very, you know, Italian oriented. Yeah. And that's that's the whole day. There's only so much I can work with in, in that context. Yeah. I mean, I can try to. Sure. But, but that's how I approach finding that opening theme is just, you know, what is the best, what's going to be the most compelling way to open this film where they immediately see it. I'm always thinking of the first time the bride and groom see it and they go, holy crap, this is like, this is like a movie. Because how many yeah. wedding films have they seen that open, you know, music drone shot, you know, right. music ceremony piece, you know, yep. it just every once in a while just jolt the system. Yeah, that's funny. I was actually like I was laying in bed last night thinking about this film that I'm going to be doing for the couple that I was talking about earlier in the podcast. And we're going to do like a. am going to basically I'm going to go hiking with them uh, two days before the wedding. And uh, we're going to go like on a hike and then go to this picnic by this water hole where they've, they've always go and they, they like dive off these cliffs into the water and everything. Um, so hopefully I'm not telling the story that you just told earlier about diving in. Yeah. So, yeah. So, but they've been there a bunch of times before, so it would be safe, hopefully. Uh, anyways, but I was laying in bed last night and the idea hit me of, Oh, I already know what the opening shot of this film is, and it's it's no music. It's that sound of the sound of rustling leaves under their feet, and they're walking through this trail. And you know, because sometimes you do, you just have to you have to mix it up because you know I'm I am one of those people where you know I uh, you know 
three out of four of my films start with drone shot and music and you know and, and there's that's fine there's nothing wrong with it um it's it's dynamic um and you know uh it, it does sort of set a tone for what you're gonna do um but it is it is fun and exciting and um it sort of motivates me to think outside the box from time to time and so yeah i really appreciate that yeah we just we just did one not too long ago <clears throat> well the wedding was a while ago we finally just got around to doing it he's a, he's a fellow cinematographer in the industry and he's a, a musician in addition to being a filmmaker and we went to la and we recorded in a studio of him actually recording the song that he used in the film hmm. so that wow. was cool so we opened the film with you know, him kind of giving his backstory of growing up on the rough streets of L.A. and then, um, uh, you know, going into the studio, discovering music. And then he actually wrote the song for the wedding. And then the wedding was in the Philippines. We went to the Philippines and he played the song for her at the reception. And then we also used the track in the film. So he's what he was playing at the reception was exactly what he had played in the studio. So we kind of had this in and out, sync it up sort of thing. And yeah. that was cool. I mean, that... That was a great way to start. I had more fun editing the beginning of that film just because I knew we, again, we walked away from LA, we crushed it. I'm like, this is going to be incredible. It was all in 4K. Yeah. Um, so yeah, when you have something like that to work with, that's so different. It just, it revitalizes your passion for what you're doing. Because yep. um, yeah, it's very easy to get into a lockstep, especially if you're making money. It's like, oh, I'm making money. You know, I'm just going to, and not, I don't think there's anything wrong with formalizing your films. I mean, if you're doing 50 weddings a year, you ain't, you're not going to be doing something different for every film. If you yeah. are, you're going out of business because you're not making money. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you do 20, 20 a year, I can balance hours that. a week. <laughs> What's that? So, or you're working all, all uh, 168 hours a week. Yeah. Yeah. My priorities have changed. I want I want to strike a good balance between creating beautiful films and making money. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. Talk to me about like, what are, if you have, because a lot of people, I think they have what you described as your, your average New Jersey wedding. And I don't, I don't necessarily mean they have a New Jersey wedding if they're in Austin, Texas, but, but they have, they have a very typical, this is the wedding I normally shoot. When you have a wedding that's like that. Is there anything that you do that is helping you, you know, get the most out of that film that, that you think would be a nice tip for someone like that? Yeah, again, it just goes back to that pre-production consultation. It goes back to that scheduling with them and just finding out the little personal bits that are going to make it unique for them. Uh, and then trying to step outside the box. The toughest thing about for the ones we shoot here is that there's so many different locations. So we're constantly packing up and unpacking, packing up and unpacking. So it limits us. If I'm in one venue, one space the whole day and I don't have to move my stuff around, I can accomplish so much more. So it just comes down – the reason they're tougher for me is this logistics. We can still pull story out of it. We can still get the bride to – you know, she's giving a unique gift or she's surprising him with something or they're doing a first look. And I can – give me a first look and I'll figure something out, you know? Yeah. I mean, we had a bride groom in a, in a venue where there's a balcony and, and a door down below. And we just, we, I, I went to the maitre d' at the hall and I said, do you have like a basket? And to do the gift exchange, we just found some string in a basket and we lowered it down and he put the gift in and then she pulled it up and they switched gifts like that without ever seeing each other. But they were That's right cool. there in the same space. So yeah. we just made, we just did what we had to do. And that's an instance to make something different. But the wedding was very typical. There wasn't anything really out, excuse me, outstanding or special about what we were doing. Um, but yeah, just, just learn your couple, you know, learn, you don't have to spend hours upon hours with them before the wedding to learn them and know them. Just spend 20, 30 minutes on the phone with them, ask them specific questions. I get right down to, um, what type of music do you like? More importantly, what type of music don't you like? Yeah. Cause if you don't like instrumental score, or if you don't like post rock, or if you don't like, uh, you know, country music, I'm not going to use anything like that. So, right. Getting to know them on that level helps a little bit too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so are you doing that that pre-consultation? Is it just over the phone? Or are you doing like an email questionnaire? Or what does that look like for you? As soon as they book, they get access to the questionnaire. It's like a five-page questionnaire. Okay. And they book me a year in advance. I say take the whole year and fill it out. You know, you don't have to do it right away. But four weeks before your wedding, we're going to do a Skype. And I want that thing filled out. 
and we're going to go through. And what I've started doing now is I've started a new uh, a drip email campaign. For every bride that signs up to me, we have automated messages that kick out to them every in increments, usually one a month. Yeah. Um, and the first one might be how to make sure I can capture your toasts the best way. And it's an HTML email with some tips. It's like three tips on how to tell your speech givers to do the best job. Boy, that's um, great. Uh, the next one might be, um, how do I make sure my, my vows in my wedding film sound the best they can be? We'll stand close together. Tip number one, speak loudly, project your voice. Number two. So I'm kicking them these emails. So I'm keeping in contact with them, but it's all automated. Um, and then it also gives them things to think about for the questionnaire. So when it gets down to the four weeks before the wedding and we sit down into that Skype, they're like, oh man, we, your emails gave me so much you know, insight into what I, you know, what we want to do. And that gets the pot stirring. And then we use that as a springboard into the conversation. Okay, great. So your maid of honor and best man are giving toasts. Well, why don't we do something, you know, where they, they do it together? You know, like, I don't know. We'll figure something out. Sure. Um, that is how we, that's how we do it. And all of my meetings are done via Skype. Uh, I don't, a lot of my brides are from out of the area, so they don't travel to come in in person. So yeah. a 20 to 30 minute Skype call, you'd be surprised how much we can accomplish in that time. That's awesome. Yeah, especially when you've done, you, you said you don't do much pre-production, but you're like giving me pre-production gold here in terms of like, you know, those emails that you're sending out. I'm, I'm doing a similar thing where I'm sending emails out once a month uh, leading up to the wedding, but it's it's more just like, hey, just checking in, see if you need anything kind of thing. So that I, I need to change that to to what you're doing. I think that's great and giving them those little tips with each email. Yeah, and you I can just have something in there in the HTML uh, in the body text. Just hey, and by the way, if you need, you know, have a have a link down there, have a button, contact me button. It just takes them, it just opens up an email uh, yeah. in their email client. So I mean, just like hey, you know, if you do need anything while we go along, just click this. Yeah, um, yeah. No, that's really great. Talk to me about. One of the things that, um, you know, obviously it's, it's a question everybody asks is, um, is, is what gear that you're using. And I asked the question from the perspective of you're, you're, you're filming a live event. And so, you know, part of, part of what I think is so important is using gear that sort of becomes an extension of you. That, that really gets out of your way in order to help you tell the story um, the way that you need to be able to do it. So from that perspective, um, talk to me about the gear that you're using and kind of why you've made those choices. It's interesting. I'm actually in the process of trying to figure out my next step okay. as far as that goes. I've been using the Canon C100s for the last three seasons. Yep. I love them. They're the perfect wedding camera ergonomically. Internally, they're lacking. Mm. The image quality is fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I love the image that comes out of it. But not having, you know, I, I have a C100 Mark II, but I have C100 Mark Ones that don't do 60 frames. I like to shoot in 60p because I like to slow things down once in a while. Um, so, you know, they're... Do you shoot everything in 60p? And then... No, only if I have access to... Well, that's that's the next step. Yeah. So the next step is to have all of my cameras that shoot 60p. And yes, I will shoot everything in 60p. Okay. Um, I like having that ability. I, you know, conforming it in in, uh, in Final Cut is a piece of cake, so it's not even an issue as far as the conform goes. I figured out a way to, you know, uh, make it look as good as possible on the timeline, being conformed, um, and then also just the ability to do use slow motion. I do like slow motion, and I will use it. Yeah. Um, so that said, I love the C100s ergonomically. I love having ND filters, but I'm doing six destination weddings this year. Packing four C100s is a pain in the ass. Yeah, bet. Um, so I've tried the Sonys. I like them. I don't want to have to adapt all my Canon glass. Mm. I don't want to have to buy new glass. I love yeah. my lenses. I love the way the Canon lenses look. I love the Canon colors. Yep. So like, I'm, I'm thinking, like, what am I going to do? The 5D Mark IV, for what it costs, is underperforming. I only need 4K when a client wants 4K, so I don't necessarily need to buy a 4K camera. I Last night, I was sitting there seriously considering buying four 80Ds. Hmm. And I'll tell you why. Not saying I'm going to do this, but I was yeah. strongly considering it. It's 1080-60. The quality is really good. With a Cinestyle, Technicolor Cinestyle profile on it, you can get close to C-Log with it. Um it's small. 
The touchscreen is great. It's got dual pixel autofocus, which three of my C100s do not. Hmm. For $4,000, I could have four cameras that would crush weddings, crush them. And let me tell you something. I know guys that shoot wedding films with red and Alexis, <laughs> and it's not about the gear. Yeah. It's not about the gear. I'm fully convinced I could take four ADDs and make films that look exactly like what I'm shooting with my C100s. Yeah. Um, you know, it comes down to your, your, your expertise grading, comes down to how to use dynamic range, yep. that sort of thing. Um, but I don't know what my next step is going to be. I might just bite the bull and do, you know, Mark IVs. I'm, I'm starting I'm, – I'm trying to avoid the Sony route, not that they're not good cameras. I just don't want to have to go through that much of a transformation. Um, but that said, yeah, it, right now because my C100s are a larger profile, I have to use a larger slider. I've got to use more robust tripods. I've got to use, you know, um, you know, the gimbal has to be large enough to accommodate. So, and, 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 you know, wanting to move to a more handheld and more compact operation is going to require a smaller camera. So yeah. right now I'm just looking to get to, to a smaller camera that's going to do the job and give me the tools that I need. Uh, and t I'll tell you what, the dream camera would be this, a DSLR that has variable electronic or mechanical ND filters built into it. That would be nice. And you give me 4K at 60 and that would be the perfect event camera. But you know yep. what? It's not going to happen. Yeah. Not going to happen. So yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we just have to work within the boundaries of what we're given. I think eventually, you know, just the way Canon operates, they'll eventually start to roll out. You know, they're trying to protect their high-end line right of cameras, and I get it, you know. So, right now, there's not one perfect camera, in my opinion. But Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah it's, for I'm, sure. I, you can tell I've given this a fair bit of thought. Um, it, it's, it's a tough situation to be in because my C100s are worthless. Hmm. They're worthless. Can't sell them. Gotcha. Um, they're great cameras. Uh, image quality is great. But, again, I need something more compact. So, I'd love to know what other people are thinking in terms of that. Yeah, for sure. Well, I know we're going to talk about that in the future. I think uh, when you have me on, I think we want to talk about some of the stuff that Panasonic's doing too with that, particularly with the 4K 60P that you mentioned. Right. Uh, so the GH5, that's right. You're, 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 uh, you're a Panasonic guy. Yeah. yeah. And yep. that's something I haven't really looked into that much. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one thing it's lacking from what you mentioned is the ND filter. So you'd have to, you know, you'd have to get one for the lens. But what are you doing as far as your lenses go? Are you adapting? No, I'm using all native glass. The native glass for Micro Four Thirds, in my opinion, is just awesome. They uh, Panasonic partnered with Leica, and so a ton of. I mean, the glass I'm using is mostly either Leica or Voigtlander, um, so it's it's all you know German engineered glass that's just incredible. Um, and and they have some pretty fast primes too, right? I'm using primes. Yeah, I'm using exclusively primes, which I think is important. If you're going to use a smaller sensor, um, using those primes really helps in both the low light situation as well as getting that really thin depth of field that you want. Um, but I mean, they're also like, you know, this small, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, there's like the, basically an equivalent of like an 85 one, two from like, a um, a 24, one, four, uh, 50, one, four, um, that are in a 30, one, seven, they're kind of like my bed, bread and butter. Um, but then Olympus, uh, also has, you know, you can use Panasonic or Olympus. Um, and Olympus has what's equivalent to an 80 to 300 to eight, um, that I just got. And it's only like six inches. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, and that's been a really fun one that I just added on this year, um, to be able to, especially with the GH5, because it's got the image stabilization built in that can run around with a monopod rack dial all the way to 300 and get a, actually a really nice usable image just on a monopod. Um, and so that, that really gives me a ton of flexibility for a lot of those reaction shots during the ceremony. Um, you know, I can go move to the aisle and get like a, super tight shot on just the rings uh, being exchanged, like little details like that. So there's a ton that I'm loving about um, kind of the, the small footprint that I'm able to get with Panasonic. So, but we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. I'd love to, I'd love to dive in more to that. Um, yeah. I'd love to, I just want to learn more about that, that setup. It's something I hasn't really been on my radar, but I'd love to learn more about it. Sure. Yeah. 
What about what about audio? Because we've talked about audio being such a huge piece to to what you do to tell your story. So talk to me about some of how you're capturing great audio, both with the gear that you're using as well as like how you're setting it up to get great audio. The great thing about audio equipment is it never dates itself. Mm. I know guys who are sound engineers on motion pictures that in their kit, they have mics that are 30, 40 years old. Um, a good mic is a good mic. And a lot yeah. of the best mics were made years ago. So yeah. mics, I tend to stick with something that's more broadcast um, compliant and very, um, um, you know, very widely used in that realm. So the Tram TR50 microphones, lobs, I like for um, indoor situations. For outdoor situations, I like the Sankin COS 11Ds uh, for lobs. And they're all going into Tascam DR10s. So the Tascam DR10 is a little tiny unit. has a high and low record. Um, it's got a fail safe on it. So if the file gets corrupted, it's a really nice little unit. Um, they're very small and compact, and I like them a lot. Super so, affordable, too. Sorry? Super affordable, too. Super portable, nice, you know, very easy to travel with. So I like those for miking people. Um, and then, I, you know, last year we used the Zoom H6 for our tap-in recording yep. for like five weddings. And I told my sound guy, we're not using it anymore. Mm. There's so much, the, the noise floor on that thing. If you don't have a perfectly clean line level coming in, it's, it's noisy. There's, there's, you get problems with it. So I just went back to my Roland R44, which is a workhorse. That thing, the yeah. preamps on it are, they sound great. It's a four channel. I'll never use four channels on a wedding anyway. It's right. got a great compressor and a limiter built into it. I have it set up perfectly. I mean, the sound that I get out of that thing, I mean, I don't trust anything else to tap into a board or a DJ or something. So, um, yeah, I mean, the way I'm approaching the day is essentially, you know, two mics on the groom, two on the officiant. Um, so you're putting those two mics on them. Yes. And you're, what are you, are you recording both of those into the same device or what are you the doing? Groom, the groom gets two DR10s, okay. two lobs. The lobs go under the lapels on his shirt so you don't see them. The wires okay. are run down the, around the collar and back down. Okay. So nothing's visible and nothing's abrasive because it's sitting underneath the lapels and not making contact with anything. Did you did you tape them there? Or? We use undercovers, Rycode undercovers, the stickies. Okay. Yep. You just stick them on underneath there. Um, and then it doesn't damage the suit anywhere visibly too. You're not sticking a clamp or a pin or anything like that on them. Uh, and so how long the, do you have that on him? I generally will put it on right before the first look. And then if the ceremony is going to be in within an hour, I'll leave it on them. We'll just stop recording and just because you don't see it. So the photographer doesn't mind that they're, that they're there. Right. Um, if it's a church ceremony, the second we get to the church and we have access to the groom, we'll put them on. Um, you know, I have a, you know, my third shooter slash assistant is in charge of audio. So their primary job is doing that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, two on the mic, uh, two on the groom, uh, two on the officiant. If the officiant's being kind of hesitant, we'll just put one on them. Sometimes they say no, they won't wear one at all. Kind of beat. Uh, you mic the podium, of course, if there's going to be readings, and we tap into any available sound system. So okay. we're running four or five sources minimum. Yeah. Um, and then that doesn't change no matter what wedding we're shooting anywhere. It doesn't matter. We use that process going into it. First look, we mic the groom twice. Same thing, same setup as the ceremony. Um, I'm not the kind of guy that mics the, the bride. I don't do that. Um, yeah. It's too much of a hassle, and i got to be there till the end of the night. No thanks. Yeah. You know, not, not my, not my forte. And I get great sound just by having her, I tell her, Hey, you know, remember that email I sent you six months ago, stand yeah. close and, and project your voice. And I usually get great sound. Um, reception. Um, there's some people in the industry that teach, like bring your own mic wireless system. And that would not fly in New Jersey and New York. It does not yeah. fly. The DJs here, I'm going to have DJs on my podcast today that we're going to talk about this. Yeah. Um, that doesn't happen. See in Texas, it totally works. In Texas, it totally works. Oh, yeah. I mean, you yeah. can go anywhere else and do it probably, and it's you know that's great. Um, if I'm going to fly to Texas, I'm not packing a mic system with me. You Fair know, I have, I have a couple XLRs and a splitter. I'll split off the mic and get a direct line from the mic. If it's a wireless system, I'll make sure it's clean. Yep. Um, if, and if through the sound check, I don't feel like it's clean, I will directly body mic the best man in the maid of honor. I'll do what I got to do. There you go. You know, so we cover our bases as far as the audio goes, but we got to keep it a simple process because sometimes time is short. You know, you know how it is. You don't always have time to do a, you know, a 32 point safety inspection when it comes to 
comes the sound. Sometimes you got to set it up and go and hope, hope, hope for the best. <laughs> yep. Yeah, for sure. No, that's good advice. I think, uh, I think one of the things that can be really helpful, as you mentioned, the splitter. Um, so if, if you're in a situation where you're not going to bring your own mic set up, um, which is probably the vast majority of you, I would guess, um, you can get like this, I actually have one right here. If you're watching the video, this little splitter, um, it's an XLR splitter. And so if you're, you know, most, most weddings, the DJ is going to bring a wireless mic system. You can actually run the splitter directly out of his receiver. And so you're going to get a feed that bypasses his soundboard so that if he screwed up something on the soundboard, it's not going to affect your audio. Yes. The, yeah. the film I'm editing now, the DJ was playing music for like the first third of the dad's toast. And I'm over there going, turn off the music. Yeah. <laughs> wow. You wanted to set a nice tone for the for the speech. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, uh, that's yeah, that's XLR splitter is a great way to go. Um, a lot of times here in, in New Jersey, though, or New York, they don't even give you access to their mic setup. They won't even let you touch their equipment. Really? They'll, they'll say there's a powered speaker with an audio out. You can tap into that. That's what you get. Uh, wow. Well, maybe that's just the New Jersey attitude, I think. <laughs> it's not. It's not. You know why? There's so many crappy videographers that yeah, have screwed okay. it up and have done – they don't know what the hell they're doing. And yeah. they've caused problems. And up here, you know, it's a high-pressure, high-stress wedding environment. The hall is uptight and tense. You know, schedules are tight. They're usually moving weddings in one after another. So it's like there's not a leniency to it. So with yeah. that comes this environment where you got to nail it the first time. There's no time for screw-ups. And – there's a lot of traditional videographers in this area that I think have messed with DJ soundboards and have screwed something up. And I don't blame the DJs. They're like, I don't want you touching my equipment. Yeah. It's a reflection on them. If something goes wrong, it's a reflection on them. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, no, it's, again, it's one of those double-edged swords. You need it afterwards. He needs it there. Yep. Yeah. And so if you're in a situation like that, then, you know you better have those lobs because at least, you know, at least you can throw those on whoever's giving a speech and, um, you know, hopefully you've got, you know, cause, cause a lot of times it's not just best man and maid of honor. Dad's going to give a toast. You may have two maids of honor. Um, so, you know, you may need to have a few backups of those yeah. as well. Yeah. I've run, I've run, I've run a boom mic at times. Yeah. Uh, there's been some rehearsal dinners where the bride, there was no PA and there was going to be like 15 people speaking. Yep. Busted out the R44 with a nice um, Shure. Um, actually, we had the Sheps. We had a nice Sheps 6060 model or something like that. We rented a really nice shotgun mic because mm. we knew we were going to be in this situation. And we just boom-pulled it, you mm. know. It's a little obtrusive, but it got the job done. And we were yeah. outside on a porch. I mean, without that, we would have had nothing Yeah, with the June bugs. Sure. Yeah. I've even seen where people have gotten a lav and wrapped it around their microphone you know, taped it up there and, you know, maybe it doesn't look great, but, uh, you know, you have to do what you have to do. And at the end of the day, the, the quality of the audio is much more important than how that looks. Absolutely. I totally so. agree. I could show that, that shot for three seconds, but you're going to hear that dialogue for 10 minutes. Yep, exactly. That's just a huge part of telling a good story is making sure you have that audio. Great. So by, by any means necessary, right? It's wedding films. I think so people get wrapped up so much into perfecting everything. You have to understand it's a wedding film, man. You just, the yep. fact that we're able to create what we can create in this day and age from a live event. I mean, I know guys that have been in the motion picture business for years that won't touch a wedding. Yep. They're like, not because they think it's beneath them. They think it's too hard. Yeah. You know, they, they, they're like, I don't know how you guys do it. Your films are amazing. How do you even do that? You have no script, no control. No, you know, yeah. we're doing this just based on pure experience and sometimes pure luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's definitely that combination, right? Yep. Better be lucky than good sometimes. Well, um, we are, we're kind of coming to a, to a close here. So I want to switch to just, uh, we do a pick of the week every week. So do you have something that somehow relates to making better wedding films you can talk to us about? Yeah, I've, I've just been checking out. I'm always looking for new ways to um, up my, to increase my, uh, my post-production workflow just to make, either make it yep. easier or to make it better. Yep. Um, and uh, I've been using for a little bit of time now, I've been using uh, Color Finale Pro. From Color Grading Central, from uh, Denver Riddle is a friend of mine. It's, it, and this is a pick, not because I, I like and endorse the product. 
it's a freaking good product. Like, it's amazing. The on-screen controls are great. Like, Film Convert is great, but the on-screen controls are kind of lacking just in terms of, um, you know, how snappy they are. This, the color finale interface is really easy. It's like having DaVinci, not the power of DaVinci, but it's like having the interface of DaVinci right in uh, Final Cut. So if you're a Final Cut user, I highly yeah. recommend uh, Color Finale Pro. Yeah, so, so it's just a plug-in. So it's just like a paid plug-in kind of thing? Yeah, it's just a piece of software. It's a third-party software, and it basically nice. brings in color wheels and curves and LUTs. It's got a LUT, a LUT builder right into it. It's awesome. And he's got, he just released something that does real-time LUT previewing right awesome. in Final Cut, which is really cool. So you can just hover over the LUT, and it just automatically shows you. It's really nice. That's awesome. What, is something, what does that cost? You know? uh, I think it's 149 for the Pro version. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's not bad at all for what you're describing. No, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, DaVinci's free, but I don't need that workflow. I love right. Resolve, but I'm not using that workflow for a wedding. Nodes, yeah. if I have to set more than one node, no thanks. Yeah. You know, but uh, Color um, Color Finale Pro does it like in layers. So you can have, uh, there's like four different options, like between LUTs and curves and uh, hue control, and then you just kind of stack them. So it's, it's very easy to use. Okay, cool. Yeah, definitely have to check that out. Well, my pick of the week uh, just came in, one of them just came in the mail. So um, if you have been, um, if you've been following uh, the podcast for a while, you know, I own two different companies, Jordan Bunch Productions, kind of my high-end brand. And then I have Ladybird Wedding Films, where we're doing, uh, you know, very budget-friendly films. We've got eight, eight team members. Um, so we have two full kits. We can send out two teams at once. Um, but it's this little lens. Uh, this is the, um, it's the Lumix 25 mil F 1.7. And so it's the equivalent of a 50 mil. Um, you're getting the light gathering capabilities of a 1.7 and they just reduced the price. This thing is only 150 bucks now. Yeah. And if you are, if you're wearing a shirt pocket, you could, it's small enough. You could literally stick it in your shirt pocket. It's not a pancake lens, but I mean, uh, you can see all, most of the lenses for micro four thirds, except when you start getting into some of the, the nicer Leica glass are, are about that size. I mean, uh, it's slightly larger than the width of my thumb. Um, so technically not a pancake lens, but it might as well be. Um, but yeah, I just, for for my budget brand, we we try to cut costs on all those little things. So anytime we can find a, a steal on a lens like that, we're going to buy several of them um, to outfit our team with. So I use the Leica version for myself, but man, 150 bucks. This lens is sharp and it lets a lot of light in for 150 bucks. So um, and it's and it's quiet. It's not like the uh, it's not like the Canon 518 that's like yeah. So you don't have to worry about that. It still has a nice focus ring on it. Um, so anyways, the Lumix 25mm f1.7. Um, super good. Well, Rob, where can our listeners go to find out more about what you're doing? Yeah, I have a couple different outlets. Uh, obviously, if you want to see my work, you just go to robadamsfilms.com. That's where my work is located. It's my main wedding site. Um, then I have a podcast. That's a weekly podcast. We do it live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. It's called the Weeby Rolling Podcast. You can find it on YouTube, the Weeby Rolling Podcast on YouTube, or also on our Facebook page, the Weeby Rolling Podcast on Facebook. And then there's also a custom URL that just houses all of the past podcast episodes. And you can find that at Weeby Rolling, or I'm sorry, yeah, WeebyRollingPodcast.com. So that's uh, as far as the podcast goes. There's also a education website which we are launching now, which we are going to be filling up with amazing content uh, very soon. That's called SinAcademy.net. Uh, so Sin Academy is basically going to be where I'm going to be rolling out different programs for production and post-production, all wedding-related education. Yeah, awesome. And if the name of the podcast went over your head, then I don't know what you're doing with yourself. But it's not spelled B-E rolling. It's it's B-rolling, right? B-rolling, yeah. It's the we B-rolling as in B-roll. If yeah. you're a filmmaker and you don't know that, you need to quit. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. Well, man, it's been great having you on. I'm looking forward to doing this again. We're going to do this again in a few weeks, talking about 
uh, about pricing, which I know is something that you're super passionate about. And I think you're doing a great job from everything I understand and the things I learned from you on Creative Live a number of years ago. And so I'm excited to see kind of how you've evolved in that um, and what you have to, to teach us about uh, making more money off of our films. That's so, what it's, yeah, that's, that's, that's 50% right there. Yep, absolutely. Well, thanks again, Rob. Thanks. Great to be great to be on. Looking forward to having you on my show. Awesome. Sounds great. Take care. The Wedding Film Academy podcast is produced by Taylor Juarez. If you found this episode helpful, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show and help us out by leaving a five-star review on iTunes. And when you're done, head on over to WeddingFilmAcademy.org to chat with our other wedding filmmakers like yourself in the comments section. Until next time, keep making movie magic. <laughs>